the whole thing for me is like adults having fun. That is always going to be the thing is like a bunch of (laughs) adults coming together, doing the things that light them up and encouraging them to express themselves. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today we're going to be talking with Lauren DeVera. Oh, I should have asked you how to pronounce your name before I did the intro. Is it DeVera or DeVera? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Um, And she is the host of the Thrive and Thread podcast and also owns a dance studio called The Lion's Den that I went to go to their dance roulette event a couple weeks ago, which was awesome. Um, She is based in Alexandria, so right by where I you know, DeAndre and I used to live. I am now in Philly. Um, <laughs> I still live here. Well, DeAndre, yeah, yeah, that was poorly phrased. But anyway, um, why don't you just give a quick, you know, couple sentence intro for whoever you think the listeners should know about you? Sure. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, my name's Lauren. I am the creator and founder of the Lion's Den, uh, an inclusive community connecting through dance and wellness. Um, we were in person. Well, we are in person now, but during the pandemic, we were virtual. Um, and the premise of that community is is building spaces for people to feel seen and to fully express themselves. And um, it's my heart to cater to emerging artists and creatives and helping them be their best professional and personal selves. Um, what else? Yeah, I am mixed Filipina American. Um, I'm also a certified life coach, positive psychology practitioner, uh, mindfulness teacher, and I'm super passionate about inspiring and encouraging others to live a life that feels in alignment with their soul Mm -hmm. that feels in alignment with their passions and um and breaking that stigma that you can only do one thing that it is possible to be successful and do many things at the same time and what else yeah i i'm just super honored i think think in the spirit of that like being able to do many things at one time it seems like we're going to have a conversation today that just like kind of circles a lot of what Lauren is interested in and I think it's going to be exciting and but may not be the most like you know monotopical (laughs) cohesive I don't know (laughs) Uh, whatever the word is I'm looking for but I'm I'm excited and I think that we want to start with talking about sort of your your life coaching career um and I especially because. am interested in the thing that you just mentioned about the positive psychology stuff because I have been taking this. Have you heard of this Yale course on positive psychology that a lot of people have been taking? Oh. It's like that. Yeah. Have you taken it? No, I did a six month course in person with the oh. Flourishing Center. Yeah. Oh, nice. But I, I know that's a free one that, that that everyone's been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mm-hmm. started it. I only did like a couple of their classes, but I really have been trying to put into practice the specific. She has a, a, a week on just savoring things. Yeah. And I've really been trying to put that into practice now. And I think it has been really effective, actually. That's been like the most effective tactic of all the things that she has been talking about that I have benefited from so i would why don't, why don't you two speak on positive psychology a little bit because i don't know what that is oh okay yeah why don't you talk about it since you're the expert on it <laughs> yeah so <laughs> positive psychology is in essence the science of well-being um typically we when we think of psychology we're thinking of something's wrong let's diagnose it okay and here's the prescription for it um and sometimes positive psychology that name doesn't really equate what it actually is. It's not about, oh, let's just be positive and focus on the good in our life. It's really taking a look at what's happening and looking at it on the spectrum of like, 
okay, just because I don't have a disease, just because I'm not sick doesn't mean I am well. It does not mean that I am flourishing or thriving, right? So it's on this continuum of like, where do I fall within that spectrum? And what practices can I do? How can I change my language relationally? or my inner critic so that I can thrive and be healthy. And so savoring, like you had mentioned, is also tied to mindfulness, which is also tied to positive psychology. So there, there is a lot of commonalities between them. Um, but positive psychology to me really changed my life when I started to look at my use of my language, how I ask questions, how I praise people, how, um, I judge myself in situations. And so really giving you that framework and that map of how to how to be more aware of your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Did you start from a place of like, was there some catalyst or impetus that like got you into it in the first place? Yeah, I would say after, let me think. I'm trying to think which came first, my yoga teaching or positive psychology. I think my yoga teaching came first. I can't remember, but there was a point where um, I've always been super introspective and super aware. And I think that started with my faith, um, just being a kid that grew up in the church and was super passionate about learning and learning and learning and like, how can I do things better? And I think once I got into yoga and mindfulness, positive psychology was right around the same time frame. And there was a program that was in person um, this was like 2018, I think when I got certified, uh, 2018 or 2019. And I was like, what is this? I'm intrigued by it. This looks dope. Cool. It's six months long. There's a project that we have to do at the end. And it was one of the best things that I could have done. And it really, I think sparked a lot of the work that I've been doing and just kind of noticing this path of like yoga and then mindfulness and positive psychology and then coaching and then trauma healing and really all these things are connected to like how can we be our best selves like we we're not succumbed to the stress that society is placing on us where there's a way to choose how we show up we're not just going to be on autopilot and so mm-hmm. yeah so i I I know that like I feel like something like yoga and positive psychology would be in similar spaces, but is there a direct like link that you draw like between doing these two things or is it just like you you came upon them like around the same time? I feel like I came upon them around the same time and I got introduced to positive psychology from another friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went through that cohort, you're with the same people for six months and it was it was intense. It was one week in a month. So Saturday and Sunday from like nine to six mm-hmm. in yeah. person. Like it was oh, wild. Intense. Yeah. And then in between those every week we were you're meeting virtually. So I think as far as like the connection between the two is the mindfulness really is interlinked between all of it, right? Yoga has this nice structured way of like, okay, here's your asana, here's your movement that you're going to do. But while you're on the mat, this is what's happening. And this is the benefit of what's happening. And the same thing with positive psychology is learning this material. It's like, okay, we're not just consuming it, but now I'm learning how to practice this. So it even impacted me immediately relationally and in within with even within my own teammates of like how do i give praise to my teammates like a good example is um uh when you're commenting or complimenting a little kid on a, a piece of artwork 
rather than saying you're such a good artist, which almost all of us would say it would, we wouldn't change that into, wow, I, I love how you did this on your piece of paper. I, I'm celebrating that you have been practicing your artwork. So almost like detaching this identity, right? Which is how most us, most us adults were raised was like, you're so smart. You're so beautiful. You're such a good dancer that we now associate that that's approval. Okay. So if I'm not a good dancer or if my body changes or if I look different or if I don't get good grades, then I am not worthy. And so shifting even just the language and how we praise each other um, was one of the biggest takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. I remember on one of our previous episodes, we were talking with a teacher where she was talking about this same thing where you like, instead of being like, oh, like so-and-so, like Sarah is doing a good job. Be like Sarah. She will just narrate what it is that Sarah is doing. Like Sarah is putting her name on her paper, like, you know, and having it be a little bit more like neutral as opposed Mm -hmm. to these value laden pieces of feedback. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool, too, because like in my um, when I was in high school, actually, I had this teacher who did a, like a year long sabbatical on the Alexander technique. Do you know what that is? Yes. Guys, yeah. Because it's very it seems it's like it's very applicable to dance. Right. Yeah. Um, and basically, like when I was doing a lot of these Alexander technique things that he was teaching us. Like he would do these exercises with us where he would be like, okay, like, you know, be fully aware of your peripheral vision and like expand your peripheral vision by 10 degrees and now do it another 10 degrees and another 10 degrees. And like, it was not like, I have no idea why it was so effective, but it just had this way of kind of focusing your energy in a way that seems very similar to like what is going on in a lot of this positive psychology stuff of like bodily awareness and like having that actually really like kind of center that relationship between your body and your mind in ways Mm -hmm. that like are not very much part of the Western canon Mm -hmm. is, you know, in my experience, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why... I mean, for me as a movement practitioner as well, it's like I, I get the best of everything. It's like I'm, I'm so in tune with my body. I'm so well-versed in my body that learning positive psychology and learning mindfulness and a way to connect the mind, body, and now spirit, which sometimes people don't talk about as well, is like it's not just the mind and body, but it's like our spirit as well and how the three are interconnected and how you can't just be tending to yourself physically. You can't just be tending to yourself cognitively, but even spiritually, like, how are you doing? So, Mm -hmm. And so how do you then translate that into something like life coaching? Is that, I assume they're all kind of very interrelated for you, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, I think even the the term life coaching, I still, I'm constantly asking myself if that's the right way to phrase it. Um, and you'll see like different coaches have different titles in their Instagram bio. Um, and I've played with a few trying to find like what lands for me. Um, I like to call myself an inner work coach. I, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about looking at the inner child, looking at the inner critic, nurturing the inner artist, the inner creative that's within us. Um, and so that's the tendency that I, I kind of go around. But as far as coaching, it really is dependent upon who's in your space. Everyone is so different. And so I've had clients, well, I'll say this too, that sometimes what I'm doing is also mentoring. There's a, there's a difference, right? Between coaching, consulting, therapy, and mentorship. So if it's consulting, 
and we're talking in the in the context of a car, if I'm the consultant, I'm in the driver's seat and you as my client are in the passenger seat. So you're coming to me with a certain issue and I'm giving you the answer and the solution, right? Coaching, it's reversed. The client is in the driver's seat. The coach is in the passenger seat. And so we're here. The best way I say it is I'm a mirror to hold up for you to like call out your blind spots and to call you out on your on your bullshit. Because I, I'm really passionate, but I look at how people are talking. I'm, I'm recognizing limited beliefs, um, deep-rooted beliefs of just recognizing patterns, right? A lot of my clients work with me for about eight to 12 weeks. And so over a course of that time, I can be like, yo, you've been saying you're going to do this, but you haven't done it. What's up? Like you, you say you want this, but you're, you're not doing it. And so that's really the big difference between therapy where it's like cognitively, right? And of course they're a licensed medical licensed professional, but therapy is like very much like talk, talk, talk. Whereas coaching, we're trying to facilitate some action, aligned action towards what it is you want to do. And because of my background, I rec- I attract a lot of creatives and they come through the lines and they see what I've been able to build. They see me doing multiple things. And that's the type of people I, cr- I um, attract is those that are like, I really want to do art full time or I have this idea and I just don't know how to get there. So I do this blend of mentorship and coaching to help them get there. And I think people appreciate how honest I am. I don't play it fluffy. Like if you if you look at a lot of coaching schools, they're going to give you the technique of as a coach, all you do is ask questions. You don't insert your opinion. You don't do this. And, you know, I did that to get my certification, but I recognize that there's there's a whole nother world. Like I can't just do it with asking questions. I have to also call people out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are the, you, you kind of got into this in your, and what you were just saying, but what are some of like the more common, like, I don't want to say issues or what are some, like, what are the common sort of like journey requests that your clients come to you with? If there are any, are they all like super distinct? So at first, like they think it's about, it's always like, I have a hard time following through on my goals. So I need you for accountability. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to give you way more than accountability because you're making an investment in yourself. So they think it's about, they can't follow through on their goals. When they come into my space, it's like, oh snap, you have this deep rooted belief that um, your, your success is dependent upon your job title. Or you have this deep rooted belief that if if you put yourself first, if you put yourself first, um, you're disappointing everyone in your life and you're a bad person and you're selfish. So if I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but mo- like I have a, a wide array where some people, they think they want coaching from me, but turns out they want mentorship and consulting. Then I have people that come in and and they're super ready to like go deep. I love doing like the mindset work and even the spiritual work. So I I take my vast background with movement and mindfulness and positive psychology and spiritual work on how to get you to a place where you feel freedom. And even that sounds like super woo-woo, but freedom as in like you feel aligned. You feel completely Mm -hmm. aligned like in your space, you feel aligned relationally, you feel aligned in your workplace. And it's not about 
necessarily about changing the situations, right? Because most often people think, oh, if I do this move, if I move across the country, my life's going to be better. Or if I get a new job, my life's going to be better. Or if I get that partner, my life's going to be better. And it's like, no, no, no. All of those things, like it's (laughs) the one common denominator is you. So if we're not getting to the deep rooted issue here, you're going to repeat cycles. You're going to repeat history. And how do you know if, for example, people are done like I feel like a lot of the stuff I mean very similar to therapy it's the kind of thing where like it it almost feels like you could like keep going on that process forever and I don't even know Mm -hmm. do you think there is like a a point at which people are quote-unquote like kind of finished with whatever process you're kind of helping them through you know yeah I think I think our our healing journey is never ending um but it's our goal as coach to get you to a place where you don't need us anymore and I think that that is the big difference between therapy and coaching is like there some folks just consistently seek a therapist, which is which is dope if you do. You know, I, I I'll say it. I've never been to therapy. I know I need therapy and I would like therapy. Um, but as far as coaching, you know, it's either it's really dependent upon the person. I think it's like how much what are you trying to walk away with and getting clarity around that? So maybe in our container you didn't get the new, like some people came up to me and was like, I want a new job. And I was like, all right, okay, cool. Let's, let's co-create this plan. And then towards the end of the 12 weeks together, she realized it wasn't about getting a new job. It was about the confidence in herself. It was about going back to the things that she loved because her life felt so mundane, just going to work and coming home and doing this. And so in our container, I noticed that there was resistance in trying to do the things to get a new job. So then we would unpack that more. And I was like, oh, wow, you haven't been reading and you've been wanting to read. You haven't been doing your photography. You've been letting that sit. Like, what would your life look like if we started incorporating these things? Ah, once I start doing the things that I love, I am able to show up better in the workplace. Once I start doing the things that I love, I see things different in the workplace. So recognizing that it's not necessarily about the external situation. And that's not to deny that there might be a toxic situation at work because that's real, but also recognizing that when you take care of yourself and you recognize that that's a priority, it will shift every other area of your life. Um, but yeah. I don't know if I answered that question as far as like done and like, I think we're always on this journey towards something. Yeah. So, well, and I mean, yeah. on the flip side, like, are there obstacles that you face that are kind of insurmountable where you're like, oh, like, I can't necessarily help you with this problem. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of, for example, <laughs> like advice columnists, like people are coming to them being like, oh, should I like break up with my significant other or whatever? And obviously, like as a therapist, as any kind of person who's kind of like giving advice, you can't necessarily like tell people like, oh, like. Yeah do this thing like you know you're in a toxic relationship right let's just therapists are in fact like not supposed to do right exactly so i never quite understand like how does one you know i guess yeah how do you handle that yeah um it starts with the very beginning of like really being clear on setting the parameters of what a coaching container is And I've learned through each client, like, okay, I need to bring this up or I need to make sure I say this at the beginning or I need to include this in the contract. Um, I recognize that someone perhaps is not, quote unquote, coachable when they are not doing the things they say they're going to do. Because then at that point, it's just therapy. You just hired me to sit here and listen to you. 
like, cool, Mm -hmm. I can do that. But that's what a therapist is for. And so I think it's having that tough conversation of like, what do you actually want? Where are you right now in this space? And maybe coaching isn't the right thing for you, maybe later on. But yeah, as the coach, integrity wise, like you got to say that, like, you know, maybe consider therapy or or maybe we can pause on this and, and come back when you're in a space where you feel like you can uphold your end of the bargain because it can't just be me doing the work yeah i was gonna ask if you ever felt like you like needed to refer someone to a therapist (laughs) you know you're like like this is like legitimately just something that i can't talk to you about yeah i i've had that conversation of like hey there you know i'm trying to i'm trying not to say the same exact words but um there has been a situation where I reminded my client of what the, what the work is with us. Cause sometimes like I've had clients that just come on and they literally are talking at me the whole time. And it's like, well, I'm in my mind, right. I'm like, Oh, they're, they're treating this like a therapy session and it's not. And so just having that relationship with your client to be able to say, Hey, this is what we agreed to. Is this something that you still want to continue with? How do you find the people who come to you, right? Like, one, I mean, is it like you find people like through your dance community or like, you know, how, how are you kind of like finding these people? Because it seems like a very intimate thing. And I know at least when people are looking for therapists, they're like, it's impossible to find a therapist, right? Like, so like, how, how are people finding you? Yeah, that's a great question. They are finding me... <sighs> I mean, as far as like direct, it's it starts in an Instagram DM most of the time. Um, I would say it's through Instagram before it's through my website or anything like that. But I think my advantage is I have been doing the lines and for a while now that I have I have shown to my community that I'm someone that can be trusted. And so when I graduated from my coaching um, training. I was one of the few students that was already getting paid clients within like the first month because I just was like, yo, like I know how to do this. People trust me. And so I would say it has come through a referral or through the lion's den or yeah, a referral or through the lion's den, or they, they have been a student of mine before, or I knew them in the dance community a few years ago, or they were the sibling of a, of a lion's den member. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what um, what coaching training is like? Like, how long is it, and what is it? You know, what what it like is, is it like classes? Is it online? Like, yeah, I I have no idea about any of that kind of stuff. Yes. So every coaching school is different. Obviously, um, it's not like okay. Let me not say obviously, but like yoga, you know, it's gonna you're starting with two hundred hours, and it's gonna look like this. With coaching, every school is different. And it's an unregulated industry, meaning anyone Mm -hmm. can call themselves a coach. Um, But there is the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation. And you, if you want to be certified, you want to find a training that is ICF certified, meaning that once you acquire a certain amount of hours, you take a test, then you can have that, that stamp on you that you are an ICF certified coach. So right now I'm a certified coach, but not through the ICF, meaning I have not submitted my hours. I have not taken um, a bigger test, but my coaching was just six months long, just six months. It was six months long, which is, which is an investment of time and energy. And we met once a week for two hours. And then you had 
a partner client where you were the coach for X amount of hours and then you had a partner coach where you were the client for X amount of hours. And um, every week was a different module. And then we had homework in between on the platform. And I love the training that I did. It was it's uh, women owned with a huge uh, emphasis on DEI and education around how to be inclusive and, and being mindful of, of how you talk to your clients and things of that sort. And so, yeah, it was fun. It was good. <clears throat> so um, in terms of like, you know, you obviously do a bunch of different things. And I'm now actually also starting to like get into the space of like, you know, trying to do like podcast editing for people and web design and like, you know, like doing death care, like doula work and stuff like that. And I do feel like on the one hand, there's this narrative that is, you know, kind of in the zeitgeist about like, oh, like, you know, be self-employed and you can kind of like do whatever you want and it'll be super empowering and it'll be great. But at the same time, I feel like on, at least for me on the flip side, a lot of it is like, then, you know, we were, we just released a burnout episode, like, on the flip side of that, it's so difficult to kind of like keep track of like all of these different because you're just doing it all yourself. Right. And you have to have like, you know, 10 different kind of tabs open in your mind at any given moment. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have had any kind of similar like expectations versus reality kind of moments where you were like, oh, like I went into this thinking it would be a certain thing and then it was totally not, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that. Um I mean, I would even say coaching could turn into the thing that I was trying to get away from. So I'll give you an example. It's like before the pandemic, I was teaching 12 to 13 classes a week. That's 12 to 13 hours of teaching, not including the preparation and driving home and things like that, um, where with coaching or with anything, with a client, with one client, you know, you're like, oh, I, I'm doing this because I want freedom and I want entrepreneurship and things of that sort. And then you're like tied to your laptop for X amount of hours and you have to show up at this time. And now you're compromising the schedule that you wanted to accommodate the client. So I have really um, dived deep into what a sustainable, healthy work week looks like for me. So I am not the type of coach that is working with like 20 one-on-one -on -one clients. That is not sustainable because I also run the Lion's Den. I have a podcast. I'm in a relationship. And so I try to navigate all the things that I do in a way that keeps me open for the things that matter beyond my career. So if, if I'm mm -hmm. looking at my calendar and it's all career related and there's nothing on there about relationships or friendships or spiritual practice or movement practice or creative practice, then that is the road to burnout. But when I can schedule the things that matter to me, like my movement practice or my morning routine or getting that cup of coffee with so-and-so and then adding in the work, then I'm setting myself up for a successful week. I think oftentimes people do it backwards. Like they just say yes to everything, right? And that, that ties into boundaries, which I'm very passionate about is like how to place healthy boundaries and actually enforce them and move forward through them. Um, but yeah, when you're doing multiple things, recognizing that there's a season for everything. So for me, you know, we, we took a break from the podcast and now I'm like, yo, I don't know how I would have done X, Y, Z while trying to do this podcast, right? And so being okay with pausing on things, I think sometimes it comes from a scarcity mindset where we think 
if we have to pause, that we're like losing out on something, right? And that's something that I've recognized a lot to go back to an earlier question of like, what have I seen in my clients is a lot of scarcity mindset that if I don't post every day, or if I, if I don't say yes to every client, then I'm going to lose all the momentum. And then I'm going to lose money. And it's like, well, okay, let's, let's slow our roll, you know? And, um, and yeah, so now I feel like I'm in a place where I have the freedom to take a ballet class three times, two times a week, because I've set up my schedule in such a way that people aren't booking calls with me during that time. And so really, being steadfast and like how you want to feel at the end of every day and how you want to feel at the end of the week and also knowing your energy. So I know Monday and Tuesday, I have the most energy. Yeah. So Wednesday's my recovery day. And then Thursday, I kind of catch second wind. So. Right. And I think that scarcity mm-hmm. mindset comes from just the fact that we live in capitalism and capitalism yes. is predicated on this socially constructed conception of constant growth yes right Mm -hmm. and you it's so hard to tell people you don't have to buy into that you know exactly exactly and you'll be better off and feel more like a real human being if you don't buy into that yeah (laughs) yeah i feel like that driver you mentioned fomo i feel like that's going to be such a huge like issue for people especially as we re-enter society in some way shape or form you know like we're seeing, you know, people are starting to post pictures of themselves out again. People are starting to travel again. And I feel like I'm certainly contending with like what I want my life to look like in a post pandemic world, mm-hmm. you know, and the ways that I want it to differ from the life that I had prior to the pandemic. Yeah. And I think one of those ways is like, you know, taking more time for myself and being more intentional with my time. But, you know, it's, it's hard to just like, not like jump back in full force because that's what everyone is doing right now. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's like, okay, the traffic's back. The parties are back. All this is back. And I was like, yo, I was enjoying not spending money, right? I was <laughs> enjoying was nice. not filling up my tank. I was enjoying not being stressed on the highway, like even getting home today from where I was. It was like, oh man, I this is stressful to be on the road like this, right? So yeah, I think if you are really clear on what matters to you in this specific season. And I am using the word season because we think like, like currently right now, it's the middle of the year. If you look six months ago, you perhaps set some goals that you thought you wanted. And six months later, where is it? It's not that you failed or you didn't follow through. It's just your needs and wants and desires have shifted. And I think we forget that our needs and our desires and our dreams are allowed to change and we're allowed to press pause. And I think that that also too will prevent the burnout is like understanding that certain dreams may not be the right timing for right now. Yeah, and I think a lot of that stems from this desire that we have generationally to be, I mean, at least a lot of people that are in my bubbles are very, you know, socially conscious, are very, like, just, we all understand all of the systemic bullshit that's going on around us, and I think a lot of us feel this strong desire to do something about it and to try to address those systems, but obviously they feel very overwhelming, and it does feel like you're in this constant tension between doing something for yourself, which feels like almost like a selfish impulse, Mm -hmm. versus trying to do Mm -hmm. things for other people to try to like solve the bullshit. 
you know, and it can be really difficult to find the right balance between those things. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because you can't really be in like a, a modern consumer of information without kind of constantly being barraged with this very strong awareness of things that need fixing. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. When <laughs> when you say that, I think about like the AAPI stuff, right? That came up and like while that was horrible and traumatic, it also was like the thing that catapulted us even having this opportunity to talk about what it's like to be an Asian American or mixed race folk. Um and I would say as far as like being able to be informed as an adult in the US, but also taking care of your heart, taking care of your soul by placing the boundaries on how much you're consuming um, was everything, right? Because a lot of folks were falling into that rabbit hole. And then you pick up on that energy of once you fall into that rabbit hole, and then you kind of mirror other people's actions and energy, right? Like think about the reposting on Instagram. Like when you would see the same images over and over and over again, and it was like, yo, it's like people, it's like this void, this magnet of of negative emotion. And it's like, okay, I recognize that what's happening is awful, but what is the intent of me reposting it? What is the, yeah. What's the impact once I repost it? Okay, I informed someone, but now they're in a shitty ass mood, <laughs> right? So. Um, I was going to ask if anyone had anything to like more to say on life coaching because I was going to move to a different topic. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, so you talked, you said that you got a grant. I'm assuming that that grant was for the Lions then? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is the Lions then a nonprofit? No. So, awesome. Yeah. It's, um, we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So actually I found the grant through Women of Color Podcasters membership. Um, nice. There's an organization called I Fund Women. They are the number one marketplace for giving grants to women entrepreneurs. Um, And there was a grant, there was a health and wellness grant given to entrepreneurs as COVID relief, like giving these businesses a second chance to bounce back after the pandemic. Um, And that story is wild because I almost didn't apply. I remembered the application 45 minutes before it was due and I was literally about to go to sleep And I was like, all right, let me just sit at this laptop and just start filling it out. And so I'm filling it out. I don't even know. This is where I know like the Holy Spirit was present because just some stuff came out of me that had never come out of me before as far as like other stuff that I've done. And then like I'm almost about to hit submit and there's a request for a video. I'm like, shit, it's like at this point it's 1147 and it's due at 1159. So I set up my selfie light. I prop up my phone. I had no makeup on and I just start rapping. I just start talking, um, talking about my business, talking about who I am and what I intend to do if I were to get this grant. And I kid you not, I submitted the grant three minutes before it was due. And I forgot that I applied because I'm, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm, there's, I'm not actually going to get this. So, you know, I just did this to like flex that muscle of like applying for grants. And, and then when I got notified, it was like, whoa, like, my, the physiological response was like sweating. My knees were weak. Like I was on the verge of crying. Um, and it's not even about the, the money. Like it was wild to me that I was like, okay, I'm going to get 10 K like that's super wild. But what was even better was just feeling seen and validated Mm -hmm. as a business owner 
from an from big organization because it was partnered with Neutrogena. So Neutrogena and I Fund Women were the ones that um, gave those grants to women entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um. So, oftentimes when, like, for example, and I I look at this through the like the frames of a nonprofit yeah. because that's just what I'm familiar with. I know that you have to like submit a grant for a specific program or something, or like for a specific, you know, like some, like some thing that you're running that you like, you're targeting a specific population. Um, sometimes rarely nonprofits can get like an unrestricted grant, which is like, they just, you know, can do whatever they want with the money. And it's just like trusting someone to, you know, do their own thing. Which one of those models is like the closest to what you got from, um, within with your grant yeah i would say we're allowed to do anything with this 10k yeah that's dope yeah and on top of that we got a crowdfunding campaign so now we can ask our community to um donate and contribute so it's a beautiful model um and now it's just like okay i'm not i've never crowdfunded before i mean i have a little bit with like two gofundmes in the past but this is like a bigger platform and that's something that i'm trying to learn right now in this season is like okay we got this grant now how can i leverage this grant how can i get my community to rally with me and maybe double this 10k into 20k you know and um Mm -hmm. yeah so the process I mean, I think just learning how to articulate what it is you do, obviously honing your pitch and articulating what you're going to do with that money. Um, So it was really cool. And they just released more grant winners today um, with Visa for black female owned businesses. And it's just a really beautiful thing to like constantly see so many business owners getting grants um, on on, uh, no attachments with it. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, what's your vision for the lion's den for the lion the lion den's future? Ooh, such a juicy question. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I used to get tripped up by that because I'm very much the type of person that just does. I was never huge into planning. I never was huge into like setting vision for the long term. Yeah, same. It, right. It's a blessing and a curse sometimes. But now that I have this grant and now that I'm like, okay, like there's potential here. Um, this is the first time I'm saying it out loud, but I, I feel like it might be time to start looking for a space, um, just because it's really hard to keep renting from studios. You, you know, anytime you could be kicked out, anytime the, the rent could go up. And I have flexed that muscle over the last few years of learning how to find space quickly. And it's getting to a point where it's getting a little old and it's like, I want to have a space for a bunch of creatives to come together beyond dance, like podcasters, or um, we have a lot of designers and artists on our Lions Den team. So I might, speaking that into existence, like a brick and mortar space that is partnered with other creatives, um, as well as a membership website where you could log on, you could access all our previous classes and partnering the coaching and the mentorship within that platform. Um, I mean, the possibilities are endless. And I think about what does Lions Den look like when I turn 40? What does Lions Den look like when I turn 50? Am I still going to want to do this? And Lions Den is always evolving as I'm evolving. I'm never stagnant on like this concrete model that it has to be like this. But it was birthed when I was in my 20s. 
So the whole thing for me is like adults having fun. That is always going to be the thing is like a bunch of (laughs) adults coming together, doing the things that light them up and encouraging them to express themselves. Which is so not something you hear very often, right? Like who care, whoever like cares about adults having fun. I feel like the only, (laughs) yeah, it's just like not something that I feel like people prioritize as much when you get, you know, yeah, it's like adults going to work or like adults like <laughs> like chasing fitness or adults right. like eating right or like whatever. But it's never just like. And you also associate it almost as like an immaturity thing of like, ah, oh, you know, like, you know, I'm not in college anymore or something. Right. right? Exactly. And you're just like, oh, that sounds so bleak. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you're not encouraged to make art. I mean, everything is now about doing things well as opposed to just doing things for fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like. You know, because you're th- you're going to your event the other day really inspired me to want to get into dance. And I feel like it's the kind of thing where, like, you know, trying to make art once you're not like a kid anymore is the kind of thing where like, oh, well, why would you do it unless you're actually really good at it? Or you could like sell it on yeah. Etsy or you could like, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not, not everything has to be monetized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like it's like, yeah, it's frowned upon to like start a new art thing in your yeah. late 20s. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is like not even that old, right? Like imagine doing that in your your 30s and your 40s, your 50s. Dude, yeah, seriously. I mean, (laughs) the fact that you brought up college, I I don't know if I told you that when I saw you at the studio, but I've said that multiple times that I had such a great dance experience during my collegiate years that when I graduated, I was like, why does it have to stop there? Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Or why is it, why, I don't want it to be limited to a dance team because then it, 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 it pushes away other people that can't be on a dance team. Right. Right. And so we're not about being a dance team. Like, yeah. Do we get booked to do performances? Yes. Do I sometimes hire really good dancers? Yes. But at the end of the day, it's like, we're all adults and we all want relationships and we all want to do fun things together. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so valuable. And, And you're right. It's, we don't need to become the best dancer in the world. Like I just started taking ballet classes again. Um, and what I love about those ballet classes is that there's women in there in their forties and fifties real cut and like killing it on the dance floor. And it's super inspiring. And I'm like, that is goals. Like I want to still be taking dance classes at the age of 50 and 60. And my dad still ballroom dances every single weekend. I'm not going to say his age just in case he listens to this podcast. He's up there. there, Right. And but he is so sharp and I've just seen the benefits of dancing on a regular basis for him. Yeah, it's just like play. Play in general is just Important. so undervalued, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it goes back to that client that I was talking about who thought she needed a new job. And it was once she started making time for reading and photography again, I mean, her entire being like shifted, right? It's not so much about doing these things, but it's like, how am I showing up in the world? Okay. I show up better in the world when I make time for art. I show up better in the world when I, when I take a ballet class and I I feel that amazing glow of like sweat and pain and like crying a little bit because it was pain. You know what I'm saying? Like just that feeling of accomplishing something and not expecting it to be perfect. Right. Yeah. So I was recently thinking about like in the frame of, in the context of myself, like, am I getting too old to like the things that I like? Mm. <laughs> and the answer is definitely no, right? Like, the answer is, like, you should be able to like whatever you like. 
but there was like a solid day where I was like, damn, can I be, you know, a 28 year old that like still plays video games or whatever, you know, or like longboards or like does things that I think are considered like jubilant young things to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think the answer is yes, but it was that, you know, it was that fucking, that fucking capitalist pernicious bug in my, in my brain. Yeah. Like I used to play trombone in school and I don't do it anymore because I've been like, you know, not uh, like I've been very much like, oh man, I have to like audition or something and like, you know, play with the group and like meet a certain like, you know, baseline standard of like, you know, musicianship. And it's also like, you know, compounded by the fact that like my boyfriend is actually trying to become a professional musician. And it's the exact kind of thing where you're like, oh my gosh, like now it's work. Now it's a grind. Like now I have to like put myself on this scale with other people on it and be better than somebody else at it. And it just really ruins a lot of things for you, you know? So, like, I'm really impressed that, like, you know, you have managed to be able to do dance professionally and not have that happen to you. Yeah, I think it's like knowing who you are. Right. So, like, when I graduated from college, it was a dance degree and you either were going to move to New York or L.A. or you were going to be a dance teacher, which I like frowned upon back then. But like, that's one of my biggest strengths. Um, And getting creative as like thinking outside the box of what it means to be successful in a certain thing. Like if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have had no idea that I was going to become an entrepreneur. That wasn't even on my radar. That wasn't even a thing 10 years ago. Like I graduated 11 years ago, just to give you all context. Um, But even like, so there was a part of me that wanted to pursue acting, right? I didn't want to do the lifestyle of what it took to become an actor. I didn't want to do the lifestyle of what it took to become a dancer on a stage Right. So knowing who I am, my personality type and what how I want to live my life. And that's what we don't talk about enough when we're in that college age is like not just what career do you want, but what type of lifestyle do you want? I didn't want to be in living in an apartment with eight other dancers in L.A. And like, you know, being broke. I don't want to say broke all the time. Right. That's not I think you can be an artist without being a starving artist, but recognizing that like, oh, I like. I like living in Virginia. I, I like being close to the city. I like what I have built here. Now, how can I create something that I love and that I, something that I can do every single day and get paid for it, right? I mean, that that that's a blessing. I think some people are still finding that and some people don't want to do that. Some people like to keep their passions completely separate from the day job and like, that's totally cool. Everyone has like a different part to play. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good of, definitely good to acknowledge that some people are just gonna like maybe work a job that they're like okay with you know they have like an okay time at it Mm -hmm. i I think your job shouldn't make you miserable right but like not everyone can get the job that's like their passion project that's gonna like bring them over the moon but i feel this kind of what about my job right now it's like i like like it enough you know i don't hate it and it funds my lifestyle where i get to like go leave at five right i'm not overworked i get to leave at five and have like do all the the fun shit that i want to do afterwards you know yeah. and that i especially because i'm you know it's it's really hard to find your passion whatever that is i don't i don't know what i don't know what like mm. my passion is and i suspect that a lot of people maybe fall in the same boat you know yeah i think sometimes shifting that question from like what's your passion but it's like what's your calling 
Yeah. Like what, what were you put on this earth to do? And maybe it's not necessarily your passion. Like I love eating and I love coffee and I love reading. Can I get paid to do those things? Maybe if I was like a famous YouTuber or influencer, (laughs) right? But like, I'm not. So it's like, what is the thing? What's the thing that burns inside you that you just cannot not do? And for me, Lion's Den was one of those things, like it was just a reflex. Like I couldn't imagine not doing it. And it was the only thing that I've been consistent with in my life, more than my dance practice, more than anything else. And it was like, okay, well, what is, what's the common denominator here? It's like, you love bringing people together. You love witnessing joy. You love Mm -hmm. knowing that you played a part in, in someone's joy. And it's a double benefit. I, I get to dance too for free yeah right so (laughs) (laughs) lauren thank you so much for sitting with us today it's been such a pleasure um and for like you know just being willing to having like a conversation with us if you know and kicking it you know Totally. No, thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed it. I, I felt like we were just together at a coffee shop, just chatting. Um, okay, Lauren. So, the you know, we're, I used to ask everyone during the pandemic what they were like, super excited to do when they could do it. But now people are like doing the things they're they're excited to do. So now the question is morphing more into like, have you done anything really dope since, you know, the world has kind of started opening up again. And if not, like, what are you, what are you excited for? Yeah, I would say, you know, that event that Isabel went to, that was our first in-person event in like 15 months. Yeah. And then my fiance and I went to Flash nightclub last weekend, like the first time in a club since the pandemic and like adjusting to that, but then also like really missing just being in spaces and like listening to good music and dancing with people. Um, and the fact that we can go to Nashville without being so worried and stressed versus like when we first were submitting, like we weren't sure of what was happening with the world at that time. So just super grateful that we can see our loved ones and travel. Isabel, you never, I I don't know if we've ever answered this question. What do you, what are you excited for? Well, I need to make friends in Philly. So I, and I play (laughs) ultimate Frisbee. So I'm going to try joining an ultimate Frisbee team. Um, and yeah, I have a total of like two friends here that I need to, that I'm literally 100% relying on for all of my social support. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're listening to this and you're in Philadelphia, if you're, feel free to contact our, our I'm the Villain podcast account. <laughs> um, okay, Lauren, so this is your time. Please uh, plug whatever you want to plug before we get out of here. Yes. If you would love to connect with me, you can visit my website, lauren-devera.com, or you can follow my Instagram, the Lauren Devera. If you are interested in dance or yoga or anything of that sort, follow the Lions Den DMV on Instagram and listen to my podcast, Thrive and Thread on major platforms. And as always, uh, you can find us at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Twitter, our Gmail, and our Instagram. Otherwise, bye everyone. <laughs>